We are in lesson 11 and we are continuing to look at David in 1 Samuel. And we're up to chapters 21 through chapters 23. And as you have noticed, we have been kind of following the narrator's guidance of us through this book as he's been showing us really the rising of the great king, David. Of course, we're right now during the reign of Saul, and the relationship with Saul and David, as we have already seen, has turned sour. And so today we're going to focus on the fact that David then runs from Saul. He's basically running from Saul to keep himself alive. Now, as we go through these three chapters, I need to just remind you that it's not the narrator or the writer's responsibility to fill in all of the details of what's going on. He's only giving you and I what we need to know about what's happening in the situation, in the formation of David when he ultimately becomes king, in his mindset as he is running away from Saul. We're also going to see today the madness of Saul, just how really crazy Saul has become because of one decision that he makes. And we're going to see that when we get to chapter 22. So let's begin today. We're going to start, first of all, with David running. Chapter 21 focuses on David going to Nob and to Gath. Now, at Nob, for a particular reason, because that's where, quote, the tabernacle is at. That's where the high priests are at. And he goes there. And then we're going to see in the latter part of 21 that he even goes to the Philistines in Gath. So let's look at this together. First thing I want you to notice, again, we're not going to read through this passage, but we are maybe going to look at some things as we go along, but I just kind of want to give you an overview of what's happening. So he goes to Nob, and here's what David does. David tells the high priest at Nob that he's on a secret mission for Saul. So the picture you have here is that David kind of slinks into town, kind of quietly goes into town. The high priest is kind of caught off guard by him. His name is Ahimelech. And he's asking David, why are you here? Are you here for peaceful reasons? And David basically, let's just call it like it is, he lies. You, some might say it's a white lie. But he lies to Ahimelech because Ahimelech doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that Saul's mad at David, that Saul wants to kill David. And so basically David says, I'm on a secret mission for the king. Now, Ahimelech is not going to be suspicious of that because remember, David is a national hero. David is the great warrior that kills many Philistines. So he's not going to suspect anything here. So David tells the high priest, hey, I'm on a secret mission for the king. Now, he asks, now this, is, this would make you kind of scratch your head, he asks for weapons and food for the journey. So he's on a hasty mission. He didn't have time to, quote, get his weapons and to get food. So he shows up in Nob and he says to the priest, hey, I'm going to need some supplies for me and my men and I'm going to need some weapons. Now let's remind ourselves of something. 
David doesn't have any men at this point. So again, he's lying, but he's got to make it look like he's on a mission, so therefore he's got some men with him. Now, Ahimelech tells David that they only have showbread, not common bread. Now, let me remind you what the showbread is. If you remember when we went through the books of the law, when they described the tabernacle and the, the holy place and the most holy place, there was the table of showbread, which the priests were to put fresh loaves of baked bread, according to a certain directions from the Lord, in front of the most holy place every day. Then in the evening, that bread would be taken away, fresh bread would be put out, and then that bread was to then be consumed by the priest, only the priest. And so Ahimelech is saying to him, the only thing we have here for food is the showbread. We don't have any common bread. We don't have any common bread, just the showbread. So he allows, now this is interesting because Jesus refers to this in the Gospels. He allows David to take the bread if the men with David are sexually pure. That's what it means to have kept yourself from a woman. Meaning, if they have had a time of purity, they're allowed to take the bread. And of course, David, again lying, says, yes, they have done that. How can he say that? Well, he's the only one. There is no other man. It's just him. So he gets this bread. Now, while this is all going on, now this is a very important point. This is, the narrator wants you to realize that something is going to happen here in the future because it tells you that there was a guy by the name of Dog. Dog is his name. And Dog, it says here, let's go to the verse, I'll, I'll, I'll explain it to you. Verse 7, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. So this is almost being like it's kind of like happening here, and God's aware of it. Dog, the Edomite, chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. So here's what I want you to see. Dog, the Edomite, a servant of Saul was in Nob and observed the interaction with David. Now this is very important. We're going to find out later, just when we get into chapter 22, why this is so important. But let me just point out a couple of things for, for you to understand about Dog. Okay? Dog is an Edomite, meaning he's not an Israeli. He's from the people of Edom or the people of Esau to the south, which is an enemy of Israel. So obviously Dog, at some point, must have been either a prisoner or from a family of prisoners who ended up being servants to Israel. And this one is a servant to King Saul. In fact, he's the chief herdsman, chief shepherd. Okay? So I want you to understand that. And so he's observing this interaction in whatever way He's observing this interaction between David and Ahimelech. Now, let me just explain something to you. Do you think Dog knows what's going on between Saul and David? Of course he does. How do we know that? The text 
is always telling us that Saul's complaining in front of his servants about David and that he wants David to be killed. Now, Ahimelech, getting back to the interaction between Ahimelech and David, Ahimelech tells David that Goliath's sword was there and David took it. So after giving him the showbread, as far as the weapons are concerned, he's saying, look, there's only, the only weapon here is Goliath's sword, whom you took from him, it's here. Would have been there with the, maybe as a trophy in the house of the Lord, I don't know. But it's there, and David said, there's none finer, and he took it. And he took it. So that ends his interaction, his stay at Nob. Now we get to where he goes to Gath. Now, this is where you've got to understand the desperation of David. Because think for a moment, David is a national hero with the people of Israel because he what? He defeats the Philistines. In fact, remember, there's a national song that everyone's singing. Saul has slain his thousands. David his what? Tens of thousands. So David has been wrecking havoc on the Philistines. Now, if you think about it for a moment, as David is running, the text now tells us he goes to Gath. Gath is one of the five major cities of the Philistines, each with its own king or lord. And listen to what happens. He goes there because he's fleeing from Saul. That expresses very much the desperation of David to run from Saul, that he would go to the very people that he's been slaughtering in battle. So David fled from Nob and went to the Philistine king of Gath, Ictish. So he goes to the king, Ictish, in Gath. He flees from him. Why does he go there? He knows Saul's not going to follow him there. Saul's not going to go after him by attacking the Philistines. Yeah, but there's a problem now. Here's the problem. The servants of the king pointed out that this is the David who the Israelites sing about. So here's this guy, David. He shows up. He wants to come into the protection of the king. He's probably saying, oh, I'm the, you know, I'm, I'm the, the, Israel is out to kill me, whatever. He, I, we don't know exactly what he's saying. But the servants are pointing out, wait a minute, king, this is the guy that they are singing about in their songs who kills tens of thousands of us, of us, okay? Now, it's very interesting, very interesting because David obviously is aware of this. So hearing this, David became afraid and began to act as if he was mentally ill. So he hears that they're pointing out to the king that this is the David who's killed tens of thousands of us, which, by the way, would have meant he would have been killed now. So David then decides to act, and he acts like he's mentally ill. And, and what is amazing is what he does. It's like, here's what he does. Verse 13, so he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness, in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gates, and let saliva fall down on his beard. 
So he's basically acting like he has mental illness, okay? That he's gone mad. Now, Ictish rejected David, saying that he had enough mentally ill people in his kingdom. So chapter 15 ends with basically the king saying, do I need another person who's mentally ill in my kingdom? I've got enough of those. I don't, don't, we don't need him. Get rid of him. And so chapter 15 ends with David fleeing from Gath. David fleeing from Gath. I'm sure he was glad to get out of there when he realized when they, the fact that they would take care of him if he didn't act like he had a mental illness. So that then brings us to chapter 22. Chapter 22 is really, can I be honest with you, a couple of key things are happening here in 22. We're going to see David gather some men, but we're also going to see Saul's madness. Saul shows that he has lost all perspective about what's right and what's wrong. And we're going to see that because he is consumed with jealousy, consumed with bitterness and anger towards David and wants him eliminated. So here's what we're going to see. When we come to the first few verses, it's going to focus on David, of course, getting out of Gath. Where does he go? Well, David fled to the cave of Adullam where his brothers and extended family joined him. So he runs to the cave of Adullam. When he's there, his brothers who are down in Bethlehem hear that David's at the cave of Adullam. They go there. Not just his brothers, but the extended family. That would be cousins. That would be folks who are related to David, men who are related to David. They then go and join him at the cave of Adullam. Now this is very important. Okay, very important because what you're going to see later is that some of this extended family are going to become prominent in David's kingdom. For instance, Joab and the sons of Zariah. They will be mighty warriors for David, but he's also going to have problems because of them. But this is the point where they join him. They join him at the cave of Adullam. Now, it also tells us that 400 men who were distressed and discontented, gathered to David, and he became their leader. So it actually goes into a little bit more detail than that. It tells you these are 400 men who not just were distressed or discontented. These are men who were indebted with no way out. These are desperate men. And they gather to David, and David becomes their captain, their leader. Okay? He becomes their leader. Now, it also tells us in these first few verses that David is not just thinking about himself. He's thinking about his parents. So David took his parents and sheltered them with the king of Moab. You'll see an interesting interaction here where he goes to the king of Moab and asks that the king of Moab would shelter his parents. Now, why go to Moab? Anybody got a clue? Why would you go to Moab? Well, think about it for a moment. Think about who David's great-grandmother is. Anybody got a clue? Think about it for a moment. We just studied the book before we got into 1 Samuel. Ruth. Ruth is his great-grandmother, who is a 
Moabitist. So David has in his lineage that he's from Moab. And so he is basically going to the king of Moab now, for whatever reason, and asking that they shelter his parents there. Why would he do that? To protect his parents from any retribution that anyone would make against his family because of Saul wanting to kill him. He's thinking of his parents. It also tells us that there's now a prophet. This is the first time you're going to be introduced to a prophet by the name of Gad. There are several prophets that we're going to see interacting in David's life. Here is one of them, Gad. The prophet Gad told David to leave their stronghold at the cave of Adullam and go to Judah. Okay? Leave the stronghold and go to Judah. So he's supposed to leave there and go into Judah now. So now, chapter 22 shifts. Shifts from David, gathering of his men, taking care of his parents, and it shifts to Saul. And it starts with an interaction that Saul has with his servants. With his servants. So Saul vocally questions if his men, if David will bless and honor them. So he's basically, he's making an accusation against his men. Why haven't you got this guy? Why haven't you killed him yet? Will he, David, give you vineyards? Will he make you captain over thousands? Basically, he's talking about blessing them materially. And will David give them honor by giving them position? So he's questioning that. He's, he's questioning his men. He laments also, Saul laments, that no one informed him that his son and David made a covenant together. So somehow Saul has figured out, somehow Saul realizes, understands that there is a covenant between Jonathan and David. And he is upset and laments the fact that his own servants didn't tell him about it didn't let him know that there was a covenant between Jonathan and David. Now, remember Doeg, Dog? Remember Dog the Edomite? Now he comes into play here in chapter 22. And let me just, you're going to wonder what happens to him after chapter 22. He's not mentioned anymore in the scripture. Not mentioned at all. But here's what happens. Dog, the Edomite, informed Saul that the high priest helped David. He tells Saul, I was there when the high priest gave supplies to David and he inquired of the Lord for him. I was there. I saw it. These people are conspiring against you, king. So Saul sent for the priests at Nob and confronted them about David. So we're talking about a story that takes a little bit of time. These folks are not just across the street. These folks are in another part of Israel. They have to come, journey there to Saul, and Saul confronts them why they helped the son of Jesse. Now, Ahimelech stated that he did nothing out of the ordinary, and that they knew nothing. They didn't know anything was going on between he and David. This wasn't like public news that's all around Israel. Would be after this, folks. But 
he says, look, I haven't done anything ordinary. David's come many times to be inquire of the Lord, and I have done that for him. This is typical. You would go to the high priest to inquire, have the high priest intercede for you and inquire of the Lord for you. This was typical in Israel at the time. So Ahimelech is saying, look, we haven't done anything wrong. We've done what we normally do. And how was I to know that there was a problem going on here, Ahimelech is saying. Well, let me just say, that doesn't placate Saul. That doesn't satisfy him. In fact, we see his madness now. Saul orders his men to kill the priests, but they would not lift their hands against the priests. They would not lift their hands against the priests. There's a common phrase sometimes that's used. It's not used in this chapter but David will use it later, and he'll use it several times in First and Second Samuel, about lifting your hand against the Lord's anointed. And so to the Israelites, they know that the priests are anointed of God. They are the servants of the Most High God. And so all of those Israelite warriors who are with Saul, when they're given the order to kill the priests of Nob, they wouldn't do it. They would not lift their hand against the priests. Of course, this is only going to make Saul even more mad. He becomes angrier. So here's what he do. He orders Doeg to kill them, and he slaughtered the priests and everyone in Nob. So what does he do? He goes to the guy that he knows isn't going to be worried about killing the priest because he's an Edomite. He's not a follower of God. These are not his priests. He doesn't follow Yahweh. He lives with the people who follow Yahweh. And so he slaughters 80 men who are there before the king. Boom. Then he carries out, it says he goes on to Nob and kills everyone in Nob. Men, women, and children, animals. Burns the place down. Amazing, isn't it? Why? Because of one man. One man who has lost his mind because he's consumed with jealousy and fear and he wants David dead so he will kill anyone who helps David. Now do you understand why David took his parents to Moab to protect them? David knows what he's dealing with here. This is the madness of Saul. Saul is mad. Now, the latter part of 22 tells us about a fellow by the name of Abathar, who is the son of Ahimelech. Now, remember, Ahimelech is the high priest. And the high priests were to be of the sons of Levi. So Ahimelech is now dead which is a fulfillment of the prophecy that was given to Eli. Remember in the very beginning of 1 Samuel that not one of your descendants will live to be old and die in the office? Ahimelech is killed, and so now Abathar will become the high priest later. So Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled the slaughter of the priests and joined with David. After telling David what Saul did to the priests, it is amazing when you read this passage, David assumes responsibility. I mean, let me read that to you. I think this is very interesting. 
Verse 22 of chapter 22. So David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Folks, that's owning it. That's owning it. He knows that it's because he was in Nob and he lied to the high priest and he put all of those people in jeopardy, especially when he himself saw that, saw that Dog was there. And guess what? David owns it. Now, I'm going to say something to you. Chapter 22 is revealing to us the difference in the character of two men. You have Saul in his jealousy, in his rage, and in his anger, in his madness. And then you have David. Do you see the character? One doesn't have it. The other does because he even assumes responsibility. Because you could say, well, it's not David's fault that, that Saul's mad and crazy and done this. You're right, it's not David's fault. But David knew that he was the reason why this happened. He took responsibility for it. That shows you the character. That's the point that the writer is wanting you to see here. He's showing you and contrasting through the narrative two men here. Two men. So now that brings us to chapter 23. David in the wilderness. Now, before that, just real quick, he told Abathar to stay with him since those who are seeking him also seek David. So just real quick, he's basically saying, Abathar, you might as well stay with me because those who are out to kill you, because Saul would be out to kill anyone who helped David, you might as well stay with me because they're out to kill me as well. So now we come to chapter 23, David in the wilderness. So again, you're going to see the heart of David. First part of chapter 23, David hears that the Philistines are attacking Keilah, and he asks the Lord if he should help. So David is still, his heart is with the people. His heart is wanting to, to serve Israel. He loves God's people. He's a servant of the Most High. He is the anointed to be king. He hears that the Philistines are attacking a, a city of the Israel, Keilah, and he asks, Lord, do you want me to go? He inquires of the Lord, and of course the Lord tells him to do that, yes. Now, David's men, it's interesting here, David's men were afraid, but David inquired again, and the Lord confirmed his victory. So you can almost see the scenario here. He goes and asks, Lord, do you want me to do this? Yeah, go and do it. So he goes and tells the guys, guys, we're going to go attack the Philistines who are attacking Keilah. And the guys are like, what? Are you kidding me? We're trying to run for our lives from Saul. Now you want us to go attack them? I don't think we should do that. So David says, no, let me go ask the Lord again. He goes to the Lord. Lord, do you really want me to do this? And the Lord says, yeah, the victory is yours. I have given them into your hand. That phrase, we see it often here in 1 Samuel. I have given them into your hand. They're yours. You do with them what you want. You will defeat them. So <clears throat> David defeated the Philistines and saved Keilah, where Abathar met him with an ephod. Now, okay, so you kind of see an inter, inter 
kind of an interaction between chapter 22 and chapter 23 now. Ch end of chapter 22 tells us that Abath Abathar came to David, and that's where the interaction takes place. Chapter 23 now tells us where he came to him at. He came to David at Keilah, and he brought with him a priestly garment, an ephod, okay? An ephod. Now, or a breastplate, okay? A breastplate. Now, Saul, hearing that David was at Keilah, went to besiege the city. Saul, hearing that David was at Keilah, he says, oh, he gets a report, David's in Keilah. Okay, he musters his army. He's going to go besiege the city. He's going to surround the city so that he can get David. Now, understand something now. We're at a point here where Saul's madness obviously is evident to people. So besieging the city means he's going to kill everybody in that city for David. How do we know that? He killed everybody at Nob for helping David. So David inquired of the Lord if the men of Keilah would betray him, and the Lord said yes. So David, he's pretty smart and pretty shrewd here. He realizes, okay, Saul's going to come. Saul's going to surround me in this city where there are gates. There's no way for me to get out. Lord, are these guys going to give me up because they're more worried about their own skin than they are about me? I mean, I know I just saved them, but are these folks going to give me up? And, of course, the Lord says, yeah, they're going to give you up. And you can understand why. Give up the one guy or have the whole city with all your women and children and everything you own burned down. So you can't be too hard on the men of Keilah, but it just kind of tells you the nature of the times here. And so the Lord says, yep, they're going, to do, they're going to betray you. So David left Keilah. This time now he has 600 men. Remember, he started out with 400 men at the beginning of chapter 22. Now in chapter 23, David has 600 men. So David left with 600 men and fled in all directions. He kind of spread out, move. Go different places. Go different places. So the text goes on and tells us that David stayed in the wilderness of Ziph as Saul sought him every day. So what's happening now is, as they're spreading out, going, they're in now in the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul's basically looking for him every day. He is determined to get David. Determined to get David. Now, the text does tell you something, though. But the Lord did not allow David to fall into Saul's hands. You've got to pause for a moment when you read that. Who's in control here? The writer is making it very clear in the narrative who is ultimately in control. God is. From David's perspective... Yeah, he knows the Lord's protecting him. The Lord's anointed him to be king. But remember, we saw some desperate actions from him. He's already gone to Gath to try to get with Ictish and just got out of there by the skin of his teeth. God is the one who's watching over David because God's got a purpose for David, which fits into his ultimate plan. So you've got to understand something. It's all about God's ultimate plan. And so he's not allowing David to fall into Saul's hands. The text makes that very clear. 
text then goes on and tells us that Jonathan meant David to strengthen him and to recommit themselves to their covenant. So it says that he met him to strengthen him. What does that mean? Probably brought him to do a couple of things. Brought him supplies. And then number two, to encourage him. And it's here that Jonathan proclaimed that Saul will not find him and that David will be king of Israel. This is an amazing portion in the scripture because here it is basically Jonathan who is basically Saul's heir. He's the next in line to be king. He looks at David and says, David, you are going to be king. You are going to be king. It's evident you're to be the king of Israel. And Saul's not going to find you. Saul's not going to find you. Now, again, remember the situation now. We saw it when they were in Keilah. Now we, we see it here as well. The Ziphites informed Saul that David is hiding among them. So it just goes to show you, you really can't trust anybody, can you? People sometimes can be two-faced. So obviously they're one way with David and another way for themselves. And that is, we got to get rid of this guy or we're going to be in trouble with Saul. So they go to Saul and inform him that David was hiding among them. Saul thanked them. It's very interesting when you read the text. He thanks them for their kindness to him. Is That's how he phrases it. Thanked them for their kindness and told them to spy out his location. Hey, so go back and tell me exactly where he is. Now the text tells you that when they went to look for David, he had flown to the wilderness of Moan. He had fled to another wilderness area. Saul pursued David in the wilderness of Moan, but he left to fight the Philistines. So it's interesting, as he's Looking for David in this wilderness, word comes to Saul. The Philistines are attacking. And of course, that's Saul's first responsibility is what? <clears throat> to protect Israel. So he goes to fight the Philistines. David then left there and went to the strongholds of En Gedi. And that's where we're going to stop our study today. David then leaves the wilderness of Maon and he goes to the strongholds of En Gedi. Wow, you're seeing a lot of things in these chapters that are reflective of David's character, reflective of the distress that he's going through. You're also seeing a lot about the madness of Saul, his jealousy and anger as he's trying to get rid of David. Now next week, we're going to see two opportunities where the tables are turned. Two opportunities where David has to make a choice where he could end all this. He could end this madness from Saul. But we're going to see his choice, and we're going to see something about David next week that I think will be very interesting to all of you.